that is the saying. It's like, as lawyers, we'll, we'll, we'll hope for the best, but we'll plan for the worst. And that's kind of the philosophy. So we want to cover those situations. Welcome to the Global from Asia e-commerce series, where you can follow along the progress of setting up a cross-border e-commerce business from start to finish. Hear insights of real product research, Amazon FBA, China manufacturing, branding, marketing, and all the blood, sweat, and tears of building a global business from Asia. Now, let's tune in. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Episode 3, e-commerce series. So today is another amazing one of these new series here. We are talking to two U.S. lawyers about this new e-commerce FBA venture. I reached out Edward Jacobson. He's a listener of the show and also active in our communities, attending a few of our global formation meetups here in Shenzhen. And I'm really glad I did because he brought his partner, Greg, also onto the show from Jacob Associates. And we had an amazing conversation even before the show. I mean, we were, we were preparing for this for a few days. Uh, you know, this is happening, this case study is happening in real time. So you guys are getting it as it comes. But it's just really uh, amazing value here. I followed instructions from Mike Hartman last week and I got a template founders agreement. Uh, and the lawyers wanted to take a look at it and they were picking through it quite a bit. I put the actual founders agreement template that I generated into the show notes, but we want to disclose, do not use this as a legal contract. This is for learning experience, for context, so you can follow along as we discuss this template founders agreement contract. You can find that on the show notes, globalformasia.com slash e-commerce 003. But I do really appreciate having these US lawyers on. And again, just like the contract this is a legal discussion, please use your own lawyers or own due diligence when taking advice at any of these shows, but especially this show, we're a little bit cautious on what we could and couldn't say. And I want to be really transparent and open and, and real time. And we're trying our best, but please, again, you know, just to cover uh, our behinds, please consult a lawyer or these lawyers for your specific case, because for every individual, you know, and every company, it's a different situation. So let's tune in. All right, everybody, Global From Asia e-commerce series, episode three. We have with us two U.S. lawyers to help us in our journey of registering and kicking off this new venture. We have with us Edward Jacobson and Greg Siegel from Jacobson Company in Hong Kong. So thanks for being here, guys. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Greg, do you want to start? Uh, sure. Um, I was a, a U.S. lawyer, started my career in tax, working for uh, the oldest law firm in America called Kedwalader. Since then, I worked for big public accounting. I've worked in technology law, uh, licensing, entertainment law. I'm pretty focused on, on international through Jacobson now. I worked a lot and lived in China for more than three years as well. Great. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you on the show. And how about you, Edward? Hi, thanks for having us. Um, so I also started off in tax. I was at the U.S. tax court. I did a clerkship there. And then I was with KPMG in their national office in Washington, D.C. And then I left law for a while, uh, mostly. I had some restaurants in the U.S., for about six or seven years. I had six restaurants. I, I call that kind of my practical MBA. I worked for the government doing trade for a year, and then I migrated over here to Asia. And in Asia, I worked for a licensing company in Hong Kong, started my own trading company, uh, Trading Components. I did that for a few years. Uh, worked for a few startups. That was a good experience. Of course, I'm not there anymore, so that those didn't follow through. And then went back to law about four years ago, and uh, Greg and I formed the f formed the company in Hong Kong uh, about two and a half years ago. 
Great. So I'm excited to have you guys on. I, I think we're definitely needed. I'm, I'm glad you could share your experience with us. So this series is much different than the normal podcast we're doing. And actually, this this show is really, I would say, involves global from Asia, right? We're, we're doing a global business. We're talking about the structure from last week's episode. We're talking about today. We're fo- There's so much we can talk about. And we've been preparing for this for quite some days now, much more than, than normal. But I think that's what makes it so valuable is we're talking about actually registering this company and taking all these applications. The applications are now closed. And uh, I've been talking to a lot of the different applicants for joining as a founder of this new e-commerce venture. It seems like we're looking at Delaware. Uh, the audience has been really reacting positively. Everybody's really excited. Some people have been really suggesting to me that we get the Seller Central account going. Um, so what's happening is we're trying to get Christmas sales. So even though we're in August now, it's going to get to be Christmas rush before we know it. So some people are just saying open a Seller Central account right away, and which is Amazon. But of course, before you open an account, you got to open as an entity, as an individual or as a company. So what I've been thinking about doing is registering a company first and and maybe my name is almost escrow or or so and leaning towards corporation. But uh, I guess my there's so many, so many things I can talk about. But the main first question is, can I register a comp? I don't want to feel like I'm cheating any of the applicants of course they're going to become shareholders as they are agreed to but should i open it up now and start filing the seller central account to to save time and and then take another add them on as shareholders okay so i mean from a legal standpoint there's no problem with opening a company incorporating now um there's nothing to hold you back once you know what your structure is you you can implement that later um, since you had, on the other hand, it doesn't really take a long time to incorporate, but since you have a business reason to get things moving, then I would say, sure, open the company now, get that, get that started, get the incorporation done. And you mentioned, um, you you're, you want to form a corporation and I, I, we listened to the show last week and, uh, I heard a lot of good things on there. Your guest, I'm Michael, Michael Hartman. Yeah, he, he seems like a very impressive guy. We liked what he had to say. Um, one small clarification, though. Um, your investors will be all Americans? It's, of course, it's nothing is confirmed yet. There are Americans that we're um, considering, but it's a, definitely a mix of people from Asia, all different parts of Asia, different parts of Europe. It's, it's pretty much global applications and potential partners. So it looks like we'll probably... Even have we're almost one hundred percent going to have non U.S. citizens as founders. Okay, in that case, um, an LLC would probably be a bad idea because Greg, you want to jump in and explain that one? Well, well, sure. Um, and and when Ed says that an LLC would be a bad idea, an LLC without any other embellishment would be a bad idea. Typically, if uh, an LLC is treated um, unless a certain election is made, is as a partnership, if it has more than one member. So what you'd have then with non-U.S. founders is a U.S. A non-U.S. person partnered in a U.S. partnership, um, which would be treated by the IRS as if they had a U.S. trader business. That means that person, if they were invested directly into the LLC, would have to file a U.S. tax return as if they were a U.S. resident. And it's not just their involvement in the LLC, they'd have to disclose, they'd have to file it as if they were a U.S. person, effectively uh, show their balance sheet, show their income, um, and then potentially have exposure to the IRS, certainly disclose more information to the IRS than most foreign people would want to. Uh, We don't recommend uh, a direct investment by foreign people into a U.S. LLC or partnership unless they're already disclosing that information because they have interests in the U.S. otherwise. Um, They can do it through a blocker company, which a blocker company can be a company, a corporation set up in the U.S. So that foreign person could own stock in that corporation, and that corporation could own their interest in the LLC, or they could invest through a foreign company. If they invest through a foreign company, though, again, that company is going to have to file a U.S. tax return as if it was a domestic company, it's actually a bit more complicated because it has to file an 1120F, which is an international uh, tax return, corporate tax return. 
it seems to me that if you're going to have both and you're trying to keep it simple, the way to go is with a corporation or because you can't have an S corporation with foreign interest holders to set up the blocker entity between uh, the foreign person and the U.S. LLC. Um, I think that's probably what Michael was getting at is that he realizes you can't have a flow through entity because you can't have an S corp. So that's why he was saying LLC. Anyway, that's we're kind of getting at the reason why you might want to talk to a lawyer when you're figuring these things out, because it, the the choices and the decision tree of what works best is a little bit complicated. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So I think I'll I don't want to clarify because I might make more discussion. No, but I, I, I mean, just as a takeaway, listen, I listened to the to the first couple podcasts and, you know, you want to keep this simple. You know, as lawyers, we want to do it right. And there's a tension because obviously people like to download forms and they think, look, here's my contract. It has all the clauses. And, you know, sometimes we just shrug and we think, oh, my gosh, it's it's you know, you're going to you could possibly do so much damage. But the takeaway here is if you have a foreign if you have a foreign investor, um, a corporation is probably better. Um, you know, what I've heard is that you want to do this for $10,000, $20,000. That being the case, simplify. And so don't bother with a blocker. I mean, there, there could be valid reasons for that. But, but for what you've been talking about, just go with the corporation and you don't have to worry about that. If you go with an LLC, um, just, just be advised that there could be some, some heavy tax consequences that, that, that aren't apparent from downloading a form online. Now, what, what some people would say is if you have a corporation and you have a foreign shareholder or a corporate shareholder, you can't have an S election, which means that company will pay tax at the corporate level. Um, now, depending on how much money it makes, um, it'll, pay, you know, it'll pay a certain level of tax. There are ways to deal with that. Um, there are ways to put, you know, put profit out other places. There's ways to do what we call an unofficial S election which is basically at the end of the year, the company pays salary out to all of the members and so that the corporation makes zero, basically, and therefore bears no corporate tax. Again, these are, these are probably beyond the scope of the podcast, but there's, there's things you can do to deal with it. Unfortunately, it, it's, it's a little more complicated, but it's only complicated once. And a good lawyer will kind of know these things off the top of their head. It's not like you have to pay them to go and do research to get there. Got it. Yeah, I think we'll we'll maybe stay away from taxes too much because I think that is really a case by case basis. I feel like today, for my goal is on the partnerships and the founders agreement, or which I'm learning actually is is that even a co- name of a co- contract? But uh, what we're trying to do is what kind of a because actually I've already had applicants asking uh, what are the terms. What's the share split? What's the roles? I mean, I have a blog post, which we started with, with with a video. Of course, they want much more details. So we need to have something for for these, uh, for these founders to look at. Is the founders agreement the right word, terminology? Well, let's start with the assumption that we're going to do a corporation because you have foreign shareholders. Okay, yeah, we're... let's, let's, just, let's okay. just make that assumption for, for the today's show. I think generically, a founder's agreement before you've made, just to jump back, before you've made that decision, founder's agreement, it's just a placeholder. It's an agreement where you can start. It's almost like a term sheet in words. It's just, but 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 later you're going to make a decision whether you're going to be a partnership, an LLC, or a corporation. If you're going to be a partnership, you're going to have a partnership agreement. If you're going to be an LLC, you'll have an operating agreement. And if you have a corporation, you'll have a shareholder's agreement. So, so the name doesn't really matter so much. But uh, I see you've downloaded a, uh, a forum, yep. and uh, we decided that one way to, to do this podcast, would, I think would be fun, would be for Greg and I to kind of look at the form you've downloaded and see how you've done compared sure. to, uh, and, and we'll analyze it from a leak. Go ahead. Yeah, so we were preparing for the show, and originally it was going to be arbitrary, but, but Edward suggested that I, I go ahead and download a template that I would potentially use without cons- consulting a lawyer. Lawyer, lucky, lucky enough, we have have Edward here and, and Greg to 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 even review it. But we maybe this would be something we would use, or maybe listeners would use. So I think it's really great uh, to go through these different clauses and uh, and let people let us discuss discuss them. 
So the I think there's there's a few. Of course, any agreement has to start with who is in, involved. The mem- is it called the members or the people involved? We call it founders. So I listed out uh, my name and the others listed there. Those could be are, would those be people or companies? That could be either. Either. It could be either. So just whether it's a corp, another company, a U.S. company, foreign company, or an individual, we list those people out. And then defining the business venture, of course, which is critical, right? Because people want to know what are they, what are the, what are they investing in? What is this company going to do? Typically, uh, you know, a lot of times when you incorporate, you want to leave what you're going to do very broad. You don't want to limit yourself. So you you don't need to communicate to your partners what you're going to do. You know, traditionally, in an incorporation, you might say all legal purposes. Sometimes they might come back and say you have to be a little bit more specific. But you don't want to say we're going to sell phone accessories because that's limiting. You know, we're going to. But 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 I I, I might. I mean, yeah, this is okay. Online retail sales. It's what I actually. I, it was a template. So what? Just to give some people some background. Uh, when I went through that website, it says, uh, you know, it had like six or seven questions. It's like step one, what is the purpose of the company? So I typed it out and I said online retail sales, but I do want to be clear. What if there's other, some of these applicants already have Amazon businesses. Some of these people do some consulting. Wouldn't there potentially be conflict of interest if there was that overlap or that doesn't matter? Why? Why would there be a conflict? I mean, you can be, you can invest in as many businesses as you want. You know, there could be a conflict if someone has a sensitive, you know, if they become the CEO and, you know, there could be a question if there's an opportunity, which company are they going to bring that opportunity to? Now, that could be talked about. But just the fact, I, I would assume that most other people have other interests. I guess the reason I thought about it was, isn't there like a non-compete confidentiality? Michael, there can be. That's up to the shareholders. It's not something that's addressed in this agreement. But you can agree with your co-founders that, hey, we're going to do all of our online sales in the electronic products market only through this company. And you can agree with that. And that can be part of an agreement that you have with your co-founders. Uh, it's not mandatory. It's up to you. But uh, I, there, that provision is not in this agreement. OK, got it. And the next clause is the initial capital. So Actually, I noticed when I read it is this non-refundable contributions of initial capital. And then it lists out the different founders and the amount that they're putting in. And it's basically to co- what is purpose of to cover, which seems pretty broad, is operating costs. Um, I guess that's pretty standard. Yeah, that's standard. Okay, so no, no issues on th- these parts. Uh, and then the ownership structure. I remember when I did the template, it said... Uh, Will the amount of capital represent the shareholdings? And I said no, because in the blog post, it's, it doesn't say it is equal. Some partners are going to be more active than others with their time and experience. So we don't have a 100% correlation of capital to shareholder. Totally fine. Yeah. A lot of businesses, though, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll give shares to a manager because they're putting in the equity. That's fine. And and. I mean, along the same topic is vote. Vote doesn't also vote need not follow the distribution of. Uh, I mean, the allocation of of shares, and it need not follow the you know how much money people have put in. That those are all things to be decided and agreed by you guys or gals. All right. Yeah. So ownership means, of course, the benefit of dividend or profit or shares to sell later. It doesn't have. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have to be connected to voting rights, but it seems like, I think I might have actually checked it off in the, when I fill out this template, I think right now we have the shares equal to voting amount of votes. So there's no separation of ownership and voting. Yeah, you do. That's the way you set it up, Michael. The It says majority vote and that the uh, voting powers align with the distribution percentage of your shares. So you did set it up that way. That the founder one has twenty five percent of the vote and twenty five percent of the the value. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the main point is as long as the founders agree and know that. But sometimes I guess it might be different if if somebody wants to have more ownership, maybe upside of the company's valuation going higher, but they're willing to take less voting rights for the operations. We'll talk about. 
I know we talked a lot about before the interview about voting and decision making. Maybe we can give just a brief overview. Yeah, I mean, even I'm kind of. When you, when you have a corporation, all power starts with the board. Okay, and so the board typically will vest power in a CEO and a COO. The board is elected by shareholders. Okay, now. There's different ways you can control a company. You can give one shareholder the right to elect more directors. That's typically how you control companies through the directors. And if the if you have a majority on the board or your vote is such that you can control who's the CEO, basically you control the company. But typically the way it's done is you hire a CEO, the board hires a CEO, the board hires a COO, a CFO, whomever they want to work underneath them. And then Typically, a board will deal with kind of life of the company decisions, whether to acquire another company, whether to spin off a division, whether to change your capital structure, change your, change your CEO. That would be a board decision. Uh, file for bankruptcy. These things, things that the owners of the company would be interested in thinking about their investment. And then the day-to-day -day decisions get passed down to the CEO because you know, the board doesn't want usually want to be involved in those things. I think it's important to point out, though, that it's really it's really useful to have some conversations and figure out if, if so you I think you're so you're going to have four people, uh, four investors, four shareholders. Well, there's been just a lot of discussions. There's been so many great applications. Uh, we're looking at having, of course, maybe two or three major shareholders, but there's some that want to be passively invested in this with not so, without getting too much into who has vote and what I think it's just really important to have a conversation with everyone um, about how decisions are going to be made. What if the product manager is the CEO and right before you launch he decides that this is all wrong. We shouldn't launch, it's gonna destroy the company. But no one else agrees. Well, how do you how do you deal with that? You, you you talk about those things in advance, and then you make sure that this agreement reflects that. If not, you do a resolution later. But but at some point, you have that conversation as to who will have final say. You know, maybe some things will be decided by a committee, and, and, and that's fine. But will will it, will it be my will the decision be made by a majority vote of the committee, or will there be a committee leader who has the final say? They'll take advice. Anyway, it's really good to talk about those things in advance before you get started, before before there's pressure, before the company's not doing well, or before the company's doing really well. It's true. I think one thing that you learn with business is everything's fine when it's kind of average or there's no when something's bad or when a company's doing really bad, people fight. And sometimes when a company's doing really well, people fight because, yeah. you know, of course, you can make those assumptions why, but people have... It's more pressure, and the company needs to do make bigger decisions and stuff like that. So, so yeah, something we're looking at. I mean, this this show comes out on Friday. We're recording this Tuesday. Things are happening like so fast right now with this venture, but we're in the middle of talking to people now. Um, but of course, as always, applications are just closing today uh, as we record this, and they've been really coming in fast. I think people have been kind of waiting and and preparing. How many applications do you have so far? Uh, there's been a lot more verbal people emailing and asking questions, but to be honest, about 12 real, real completed applications. Mm -hmm. I would think more, but there's, unfortunately, I've noticed people, a lot of people have talked about it, but haven't executed. Maybe they're hesitating. I think it would have been different if we had let people be more passively involved, but I think a lot of people are doing their own business already and feel this is, uh, asking a lot of active role but i think if we made this like an investment passive investment it would be a different but this is for active partners so we're already talking about opening it up for we have people on on interested in being more investor related which we're discussing okay and now there's a few more points so we just finished talking about the ownership structure and the connection with voting rights which was great and now we have vesting schedule which when i filled out the template questionnaire i said standard vesting schedule which uh it's about a paragraph or two but the main point is if people leave within the first year or 12 months they will not keep any shares and and then it's a four-year vest. So we call that a cliff and a vest, right? And yeah, that's cliff vesting. So cliff is the is the 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 first year is the cliff you climb. If you fall off the cliff, 
before the end of the first year, you get zero. And then after the first year, you get the full year's worth of vesting. The the thing that's strange and sort of not workable about the vesting schedule it auto-generated for you is that nobody has any shares for the first year, which means that we don't know who's voting and who makes decisions for the company. Typically, Michael, you would have some sort of super founder voting shares that would at least give you the ability to control the company, and that might be diluted as the other people vest over time. But this doesn't provide for that. It also doesn't provide for how we would allocate any money that would be distributed in the first year, if any were to be distributed, uh, because no money is, uh, no, no shares are vested, and typically unvested shares don't get distributions, although this agreement doesn't cover that either. So it's a bit of a strange kind of thing. It kind of creates a problem for distributions, creates a problem for, for management, and that there's nobody to vote uh, until the, the first cliff is passed. All right. So then the main, I think, theory here or point that, that we should have is somebody should have the voting rights while there's the cliff in place. While you're waiting for the cliff, just have, have you start off with shares. You know, I mean... Um, I don't think you're going to to quit, but obviously you talk to your other shareholders, but someone has to have shares during that first year. And you can have different classes of shares in a corporation that's not an S corporation. You can be issued shares by the company that are only vote and don't get distributions. They only have voting power. Maybe they have supreme voting power and no rights to capital or distributions. And they can even go away in the event you left the company. They can they can be dissolved or be repurchased. There's a lot of things to do, but somebody should have some voting power. And under this document, nobody does. We have one more clause. I want to interject something here, I guess. That is, I, I don't like doing an agreement this way. You know, we, we start off with a form and we take out what's wrong and we fix. I'd rather start with the shareholders and 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 have a discussion about what we want, what we want to do, talk about these things, who's going to be in charge, you know, what's going to happen if, and then you build an agreement around this. You know, here's an example. I mean, someone if someone didn't catch this, you'd have a very flawed document, right? Now, and and the the risk of downloading a form and using it, sometimes it's no problem. And and a lot of times in business, things go along and there is no problem. It's not until you have a problem. So, so just because you started selling three months later and you said, see, no problem. Downloading the form was no problem. But what happens when someone stops working? What happens when someone, you know, you, you run into problems. If this was in place, you would have had a big problem, you know, because there's this major flaw where no one has shares in the first year. Yeah, sure. I mean, IP was definitely important. So let's let's discuss. It's basically stating in this contract, which... We decided we're going to let you guys download this template. Or well, it's not, actually, and we don't recommend. I don't. Well, at least I don't. Rec- I don't think any of us recommend using it. But I think for you guys to know what we're talking about, you could download it uh, off the show notes. So, the this point six called intellectual property ownership. Uh, Greg, do you have any feedback for this point? I mean, it's it's an okay provision. It's a little bit bare bones, but the idea here is that you know anything that's worked on on behalf of the company. The output of that work should belong to the company. So if somebody comes out with a great idea for a trademark for your product or brand name while working in the context of of working for the company, the company owns that and the company can use that. And, And that's pretty standard. And it's something that you want not only in your founder agreements, but in all your employment agreements. When you hire somebody, especially if they work in anything creative, you want them to assign all the creative rights to everything they do for the company to the company. I, I, you know, I wouldn't use the language that's here, but I know this document's trying to use plain English rather than anything legalese. That's a good idea sometimes and less of a good idea other times. All right. So I think we're finished with yeah, the, this. The rest of the uh, clauses are fairly standard. Um, you know, we, we call this boilerplate and, you know, every contract has it. There's really not much to discuss there. All right, so now we want to move into points that you you notice were missing or you think would be important to include in this agreement. I have a list here. Uh, I think each of you wanted to choose some points, but I think one point you mentioned before recording, I think I'll just bring up the point and then 
you could explain it is not performance, a non-performance after maybe the first month or assert the earlier stage of the agreement? Yeah, th- this agreement doesn't, you know, the hazard you have with a new company is what if someone, they're all eager in the beginning and they're expected to work and, and, and do some element of work and uh, then they don't. They get dis- they get discouraged. They run into a personality conflict. They get busy with their other things. They have a you know the, they have a family change. Who knows? But this agreement doesn't deal with that. And, and I think I think the starting point is to have a conversation. You know well, what happens if someone stops working? If someone just shows up, stops showing up. You know I, I think Greg pointed out before in your agreement. There's really it doesn't really have much about termination or, or how it would be handled. Here's another question. What if, uh, what if someone, um, you've launched the product, it's, it's doing well, and you're two years in, and then someone stops working? Or what if someone's working really hard later, and someone else is just, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but they're not working hard? You know, in, in my in my thinking, in the beginning, no one has a salary. You're, you're bare bones. You're just trying to get to market. Once you get to market and you start getting revenue in, you know, you want to build up some reserves. You know, you want to you use the money for the business. At some point, hopefully, you know, that's the idea of doing these things. At some point, it will become profitable, right? And then at that point, you, you want to think about what do we do with those profits? Typically, if you do nothing, you will distribute those out. As, as dividends. In a corporation, you declare dividends. In a, uh, we won't talk about the others. You know, obviously, at some point, you want to have salary, you know, and, and, and at that point, you can have employment agreements. So two years in, you're making, or for you, six months in, because you have such a fast time frame. So six months in, you go through the Christmas season, the thing's going well, you're, you're making a lot of money. And someone's putting in significant time, and that might not seem fair. Two shareholders, one's 35, one's 35, and someone's putting in a lot of time. What do you do about that? Salary. You can adjust with salary. You know, and, and I think that's an important way to deal with if someone doesn't perform. Um, in the beginning, if someone doesn't perform, you have to have something in the agreement. If, if someone stops working, if someone stops contributing, um, and, and I think this agreement attempted to do that in, in the in the in the vesting language, as Greg pointed out, it could be done a little bit better. Greg, do you want to add anything here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it just it just lacks the mechanism to provide for who's making the decision that somebody's not pulling their weight. You know, it just says if somebody leaves, it doesn't tell how we get somebody to leave, how we make them leave, or you know who makes that decision, uh, among other things. So yeah, it's it's just not it's not fully actualized. Yeah, I mean, uh, from my experience talking to other other business owners as well as my own previous businesses, a lot of times this is where things get sticky because either one person feels like they're doing too much work compared to the others or one person doesn't want to work anymore and maybe even doesn't know how to get out, right? Ex- you know, ways to ways to leave. Like, you know, especially we're going to be pretty public with this business, so we should have clear reasons or ways that people can know that they're performing or not performing. And that's the, the second of what we thought maybe could be included, which are like the rights for one priority, maybe you to buy out the partners or them to buy you out. And also something which would say that if somebody came along and said, wow, it's a great business, we want to buy it. And they offer a good price. And most of the people want to go along and sell the business that one person can't hold up the full sale. Those are standard types of things in a, in a shareholder's agreement, um, known as drag-along or tag-along rights. So the, the ability to buy out a partner who is maybe not performing or to some otherwise t- remove them or terminate their vesting and the ability to force a small minority to go along with what the big majority wants in a buyout, those sorts of things are, are pretty standard and these types of agreements, and this one doesn't address either of those uh, situations. And I, I think it's important to have those kind of things in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, you know, and, and again, have a hard conversation. I think it's better to have a lawyer there, um, you know, to, to ask the hard questions. But you, you want to talk about these things. Here's another. Here's another situation. Um, two years in, it's 
it's doing well. We're not we're not we're not about to do an IPO, but it's doing well. And someone decides, look, I I want to get out, so they want to bring in their cousin Joe, and cousin Joe likes the bottle. And you guys are thinking, no, no, cousin Joe. Well, what do you do? You know, I've seen a lot of agreements that don't talk about that. So so you guys have a fight in front of you if you want to stop cousin Joe from joining the company. So you know. Have that conversation. What do we do if if someone wants to leave? What do, you know? How and and typically we have a right of first refusal. And there's a couple of different ways they can work. I'll, I'll briefly mention one typical way is someone goes out and finds a bona fide buyer, and then they present that that offer to the other shareholders, and those other shareholders can buy your shares, or the the selling person's shares, the selling shareholder shares, at the same price as the bona fide offer. And if uh, some if one shareholder doesn't want to buy, his allocation of shares can be picked up by the other shareholders pro rata. If the sh- if the other shareholders don't buy, then he can proceed to sell to the bona fide uh, seller. Another briefly, another way to do it is if someone wants to sell, they have to give notification to the company, and the company has the right to buy them back. Now you can leave that open. You know, you'll negotiate for a price or you can have a formula, which I like. You can have a formula. You can say three times earnings. That'll be the valuation of the company. So if you're a 20 percent shareholder, the cost of your shares will take earnings for the last 12 months. Multiply by three, take 20 percent of that. That's what the company has to buy those shares back. Or you could say the shareholders, the other shareholders have the right to buy those shares pro rata. Those are two broad ways to deal with someone wanting to leave um, if you're forcing someone out, you can use the same mechanisms. You can say, look, there's if someone gets forced out uh, for any reason, if they get, you know, obviously it should be, there should be a higher standard here. You don't want to do it just because Cousin Joe keeps coming to the Christmas party. But this guy isn't performing. We have a, we, we have a major problem in the office, whatever. You're going to remove someone. You can put a clause in that says three times earnings. That'll determine the valuation. That way you don't have to worry about arguing about a price. That determines the valuation and the company has to buy them out. If it's early in the life of the company, maybe the company doesn't have money. So maybe they say, okay, we'll give you a note and you'll get, uh, you know, as soon as we start making a profit, you'll get paid first out of the profit. There's different ways to handle it. Anyway, again, just to recap what I just said, the most important thing is have that conversation. Sit down and talk. You know, have ask difficult questions. I know you're eager to go. I can see it. You're eager. But once you get your team lined up, just just spend an hour or two and talk about what ifs. You know, it, a lot of times I see people scratching their head and it's uncomfortable, especially because they're eager. But it's so much better to plan for these things um, than to deal with them later. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's, I, I mean, my first business was uh, in New York City on 23rd Street and 6th Avenue, and we shook hands 50-50 with my, one of my best friends from my hometown. We grew up together, and we had totally different ideas later. We're still really good friends, luckily, but yeah, there were some tough times, discussions to have later, which would have been better earlier, uh, for sure. I want to go back to Greg's mention of drag-along, tag-along. I've heard this before, and I'm, I don't... I don't if you could help clarify that, I, I would love to know more. I think maybe listeners should, would too. Sure, Michael. A lot of my work as a lawyer recently has dealt with tech startups. Um, so a little bit different than this. And what a lot of tech startups really hope for is to get bought by Google or Apple or some other big you know, company that in that space. That's, what they, that's their, their end game. And what can happen in those situations is sometimes – Someone will come in and make an offer one of these startups and say, hey, we love your company. We'll give you $10 million for your company. And some of the founders may say, $10 million, that's great. I'll get a $1 million for my 10%. I'm so happy. And then another guy may say, $10 million, are you crazy? My, this company is worth $50 million. Just wait till next year. We'll do the deal next year. And so you end up with a situation where one party wants to go one way, another one wants to go another way. Maybe some are undecided. Drag-along and tag-along are pre-built in to resolve those situations. So a tag-along means that uh, – well, let's start with drag-along. A drag-along means that if – like let's say a majority or let's say two-thirds, whatever threshold you set, wanted to sell in those circumstances for the $10 million, they could force the, the other t- one-third to sell along with them. 
So the other one third, even if they didn't want to do it because of these these rights of uh, drag along, picture dragging somebody along with you to the table to sign the sale document, right? That's why it's called drag along. Uh, tag along is the opposite. Let's say we have a company and it's doing great and somebody comes to me and I own I own some portion of the company. I own 60% and they want to buy me out. They want to buy 60% of the company for $6 million at a $10 million valuation. And you say, I don't want that guy as a partner. You own the $4 million. I don't want to have him as a partner. I partner with you, not him. If he wants to buy your shares, he has to buy me out too. And that's, that's tag along. Imagine your little brother following you to the negotiating table, even though you don't want him there. So I want to sell my six. You tag along and say, okay, but if he's going to buy your six, he has to buy my four too. And if he only wants to sell, spend six, then he's only going to buy, you know, 3.6 million from you and 2.4 from me. He has to prorate the amount he's going to spend because I'm tagging along. That's what drag along and tag along means. Got it. Thank you so much, Greg. Sure, sure. It's very, very common, especially in tech startups where the exit strategy is to be bought by a big company. For something like this, it's useful, maybe less applicable sometimes. But it's, again, it's something a lawyer, we don't have to come up with the provisions from scratch. We already have them. We've already done them before. So we would just add them to your agreement. And if if the shareholders discussed it and said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, everyone agrees that's fair. We just add them to the agreement. Just a small illustration of how not having tagalon rights could be disastrous. In in Greg's scenario, he's a sixty percent shareholder. You're forty. The big tech company comes in and buys sixty percent. You're a forty percent shareholder with no rights whatsoever, other than typical rights to see the books and share in distributions. Remember that in a corporation. Profits need to be declared as a dividend. You don't have a right to profits unless there's a declaration dividend. What if it's a tech company that never makes distributions, never declares dividends? You're stuck. Now, they can wait five years and then they come back to you and they say, look, we'll give you eight cents on the dollar. Otherwise, you're welcome to be a shareholder in this little, uh, you can be a minority shareholder in this company forever. And you're stuck and they can really use that. That could be really strong leverage. So these things could be could be really important. Of course, if you don't get bought out, you know, then you don't have to worry about it. But why are we doing these? Why are we why are we in business? Of course, we want to hope for the best case scenario and we need to plan for that and plan for the worst case scenario. That is the saying. It's like as lawyers, we'll 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 hope for the best, but we'll plan for the worst. And that's kind of the philosophy. So we want to cover those situations. All right. I mean, I, I really appreciate you guys' time. I mean, this has been an amazing show. I feel like we're getting towards towards the end of the. We'll have to definitely, if you're well, get you involved in future shows when we get the partners too. I mean, of course, it's kind of arbitrary a little bit because we don't have the other founders yet uh, on on involved. So I hope uh, I hope to have a show soon about that. And uh, there's you guys also mentioned that there's actually something like articles association, you know, directors resolutions. I don't know if you want to bring those up. Does that happen later? Does that happen when the company's registered? It happens later. Uh, the articles happen now, typically by form. The resolutions are the board doing things, making resolutions, resolving activities for the corporation to do. So a resolution to hire the CEO, a resolution to hire an auditor who's going to audit the books and records of the company. So that the resolutions part happens later under the board. There'll be a flurry at the beginning, usually, of resolutions to set up things, to to get things moving. And then the board will typically meet quarterly or more often and make more resolutions and govern company business. The articles of, of, of incorporation are pretty standardized documents. They're usually, I don't know, it's a few pages long, right? And then the bylaws are usually what will cover the, the company's own activities as a company. And then the shareholder agreement, which this founder's agreement is acting as a shareholder agreement, will govern the relationship, not of the company company's members to the company, but of the shareholders to each other, hence the drag along and tag along. That's the relationship of one shareholder to another, not so much their relationship to the company itself. I understand. So so then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get through those later, maybe in future episodes, or we'll keep people posted. Uh, so more about you, your guys' business. How um, You've been so helpful. I'm sure there's going to be listeners that will need your help uh is there what's the best way for them to find you 
My email is jacobson at edjhk.com. Greg's is Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, at edjhk.com. Uh, we're both on LinkedIn. Um, don't have a website right now. That's probably coming soon. And just to say a little bit about us, we are basically based here in Asia. We're both Americans. Um, we've represented both Chinese and international companies and people. We don't do Chinese law. I want to make that clear. Uh, we can advise someone. We can help someone find the right Chinese lawyer. We know a lot about Chinese law to have an understanding. It's important to, 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 to be here to understand those things. But m most of what we do in, in, involves there's some international aspect. You know? And if not, uh, for instance, there's a company, uh, a business here in China, but it's owned by a Hong Kong company. So um, they have a shareholders. They need work on their shareholders agreement. So we'll do that. That's no problem. One other thing, just Michael, is you know Ed's made the point several times about people getting together. But we, what you want to do at the beginning, just as a piece of advice, um, you want everyone to feel like it's fair. I think at the beginning it's important to get to that point that everyone feels like whatever structure you put in place it governs the different pot potential things that can happen. But also it may not be perfect, but it's fair. And that's, you know, that's important. And it's sort of something that's lost on some lawyers. It's not always just about squeezing every drop of, you know, oil out of your competition. It's getting this thing set so everyone feels like they got a fair shake at the beginning and all the effort and energy can go into making it a better business. And that's something to really to keep in mind and remember when you're dealing with like partners, whether it's in a corporate or in an LLC or in a partnership context. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, having, uh, having the right, like that's actually my biggest concern when I was talking to you guys. That's why I actually approached Edward last week. I want to make sure my, my, my most important course is to make money, but also to make sure we take care of these new partners. I don't want them to think that, uh, I'm using you taking advantage of anybody. And, uh, you know, the worst thing for me is this, this business goes bad on the show and uh, it's going to be a success. I'm thinking positively, but like you said, as, law as lawyers, you, know, you got to think of the worst and protect and make, and of course make everybody comfortable. So, so thank you so much for, for helping. Uh, I have great ideas and I, I know this helped a lot of listeners as well, because everybody's facing this, you know, we're not big tech startups, but we're lots of entrepreneurs around the world going global from Asia, as we say in the show. So I just wanted to add one more thing, and that is, I guess it's a pet peeve of mine. When people talk about lawyers, they, they think in terms of every lawyer wants to charge so much. And, you know, we, we've talked here and, and last week they said, download the form and then have a lawyer review it. At the very least, do that. But also, you can call more than one lawyer. I mean... In our business, when we deal with a startup, we understand, you know, we, we don't, we'll, we'll deal with a lower, you know, we'll do things more simply or, or, or more bare bones in the beginning. That is, we'll still give them good service, but we understand they don't have money. I'm willing to make a deal. I'm willing to be a little bit more flexible on our fees because you're going to grow. And later we hope to get your tax work and your planning work and, and your other legal work. And there's a lot of lawyers out there who are like that. So, you're starting up a new company and you think, you know, the first lawyer you call says, yeah, we can do that for 20000 Call another one. You know, find someone who's willing to work with you. But, but, but getting these things, these, these clauses right is really important. And the example I use, so many people think, well, look, all you need is these clauses. Just download it. That's it. See, look, it works. And what I would say is get all the pieces for an iPhone and put them together. Now, is that an iPhone? I don't know if that's really a fair example, but uh, anyway, that's that's just what I wanted to add about uh, downloading forms. That's true. Earlier in the show, you were also mentioning it's it's more. Is it to start with a template first, or is it the needs of the partners I, first? I think. I mean, I think you have you have the conversation first, you know, and you have an outline and a term sheet. You know, talk, just a, just an Excel term sheet. Talk about what's important. You can download that and use that as talking points and ask difficult questions. What's going to happen if this happens? What do we do about this? How are decisions going to be made? You know, we talked about the board starting off with all power. Well, in the beginning, it's just the three of you. So it's pretty easy. Well, what happens when things get moving? You know, talk about that. Where is how is the decision tree being set up? Once you, you know, tag along, drag along. 
you know, allocations are, are, are the vote and the uh, is, is the vote going to follow the value um, and the distribution rights don't have to. But talk about those things. You know, I think it's usually you talk openly and people can come to an understanding. Once you have that understanding, then go to your lawyer, go to your form if you need to do that and, and try to make the document match the understanding rather than taking a taking a document and seeing if you can agree to it because if you do the document and then try to reach an agreement from the document the chance it's it's very very likely you've missed things you've you've missed major major points great 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 tips thanks thanks guys thank you thank you greg too and edward and let's continue this e-commerce venture series thanks thank you michael you're very welcome Thank you, Edward and Greg. We spent quite a few hours, as I said, preparing for this show, going back and forth about the points we would discuss, and I think it came out amazing. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know sometimes this legal stuff can be really uh, a headache, but like we said in the show, don't ignore this, especially at the beginning of a new venture. We're trying to do this new e-commerce FBA company correct from the beginning. A lot of times where people make mistakes with partnerships is they do handshakes or they're all happy at the beginning. Everybody just wants to get started. We want to get our Seller Central account started. We don't want to lose time. But having these things in place and everybody clear from the beginning is what prevents fallouts and misunderstandings. So we want to do this right and we want you guys to do it right. So please let us know what you think. Leave a comment on the show. I know some people have been asking me questions. Show notes are there and comments are great to be put there and uh, we'll try my best to get the guests on the show to answer them as best they can. We are going to introduce the new partners. I'm busy actually right now going through applications. Thank you everybody that applied to be a partner. I'm very honored that you uh, are interested to join. I wish I could take everybody, but uh, it's, it's a really hard decision for me. I'm setting up calls, a lot of them now. What's going to happen is August 22nd, Tuesday, is when we're going to announce it on our first show, e-commerce Gladiator TV. We're going to be doing it in Shenzhen, China at Rocket Space, co-working space. You can watch it live at facebook.com slash global from Asia. Hopefully that works. Try my best. No guarantees. You know, it's Chinese internet and everything, but we'll try our best. Also some Chinese streaming. I'm sure my wife, wife, Wendy, will take care of that. We'll have a live studio audience. Already people have been getting some tickets. It is paid. It's going to be food. We're also going to have Zach Franklin there afterwards talking about Facebook bots and marketing on Facebook with bots, which I'm even learning. So we have kind of a two-part series in that uh, meetup, August 22nd. It's going to be recorded with two cameramen. we got lighting setups, the whole thing, backgrounds, and we're going to have it produced by shadowfactory.io, a VR agency. I actually work, work with a lot in Hong Kong by my friends and they're they're going to be producing the show putting it all together. So that's what my favorite part about this e-commerce series has been so far is just connecting even more closely and taking action and business with a lot of these people. So thank you guys so much for your participation even at listening even listening right now is 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 helpful. I wish I could sit next to you and talk to you and hear your ideas. I always welcome you giving us feedback and that's all I got for this week. We got so much amazing content coming out. I hope you guys are enjoying. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Global from Asia e-commerce series, where you can follow along the progress of setting up a cross-border e-commerce business from start to finish. Hear insights of real product research, Amazon FBA, China manufacturing, branding, marketing, and all the blood, sweat, and tears of building a global business from Asia. 